encourage you guys to continue this theme. Honestly, I think it's a gift to the industry. I loved your post that 2024 should be the year of unreasonable hospitality. All right. Hey there, Scott. How's it going today? We got some snow and it looks like it's here to stay for at least a few more days. We're going to get another snowstorm on Friday and snow days are always fun because I'm the evil guy that gets to make the choice on are we coming to work? And unfortunately for everyone, I actually err on we should come in and work and collect money and provide service and do those things. So I was the evil guy as I walked through. I'm trying to stay in my office today and try to avoid all the drama out there. But we're here. We're making things happen for the clients and the kids are at home playing, but I'll, I'll catch up with them tonight. Yeah, I saw the UPS tr uh, truck going past when you were saying snow. And I was like, shout out to that guy. He had to show up for work. There was no option for the UPS guy or woman to work from home, right? He had to get out there and deliver those packages. So I dig it. Awesome. Adam, hopefully not snow down your way, although it's cold down here in South Carolina. How are you doing? What's going on? How's the weather? Yeah, chilly, but but no snow. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. Having spent many a year in Boston, I'm I'm perfectly fine with never seeing snow again. So I'm, I'm good with that. We did miss school last week for a couple of days due to wind. So regardless of where you live, it seems like schools find a reason to to cancel. But going great down here outside of, of the wind chill, I had to turn off all the outside showers at the rental properties today. So it, we're definitely getting prepared for that cold spell. Quick note on the sports side, and then I'm going to pass it back to you, Conrad, because I'm excited to, to get into this chat today. So the only highlight that I've got from a sports perspective is one that I touched on a number of episodes ago. I, I mentioned that my daughter, who's a, a freshman at UNC Charlotte, has uh, this boyfriend that she's had for a few years that uh, went to MIT and is on the basketball team. He's a freshman there. He's one of four starters on the, on the uh, basketball team. And last week, he scored 39 points and set the freshman scoring record. They only scored 69 points in the game. So you can see how much influence that has in, in that game. Now, they've only won a couple games, but it's a young team. But it, it's really cool to see someone perform at that high level. And having known him for a few years, if I look back a year ago and he was hustling real hard to get into MIT or get into any schools, didn't know where he was going, trying to find a place where he could play basketball. So to see those things happen, to see that hard work pay off, but also to see people perform at a high level and do a number of great things together. And there's a number of people that talk about this, but the one that sticks in my mind is this guy, Scott Adams, the guy who created Dilbert. He talks about it as a talent stack, right? We're all unique and we have these unique talents that we stack on top of each other. So to see this kid come out and, and really perform at a high level on the scholarship side of things, but also on the sports side of things, it, it's a pretty cool thing to see. And I, I think that correlates to the today's discussion as we talk with Sarah, I think as I looked through her LinkedIn page, it was just talent stack on top of talent stack. And as we, we look at the background, she's telling us about how she's building jewelry in her spare time. So I think there's a lot of talents and some things that we can pull out of this discussion. So looking forward to that one. Yeah, I, I always liken that to some of the stats or graphics that they put on the screen when you're watching certain sports events where it's like the only freshman to score 39 points and get into MIT with a 4.5 average. But now, I mean, it's hard to score 39 points in any game. High school game is hard to score 39 points. So right. respect to that young man. He's obviously playing well. Awesome, Sarah. We, I think you are talented. We'd love to obviously get you to know you a little bit better. The listener may not have heard of you. So Sarah, welcome to the show. We appreciate you being with us today. So we got two questions. One, maybe a little bit of background for the listener context, where you are, who you are doing, what's your focus today, that sort of thing. Thing, and then also a song the best described to you so we can add it to our Spotify playlist. All right. A little background about me. I'm Sarah Franzen. I am based in Charlottesville, Virginia. I have been here for a number of years, a couple decades, actually. Originally from Minnesota, so I actually do like the snow. My husband and I get very excited when it does snow, and it did snow yesterday, so that was fun. But grew up, educated in Minnesota, undergrad, 
did grad work in California and Georgia as well. But my the first part of my career was in the arts. So I was I studied music in undergrad, vocal performance, and then I went on to study vocal pedagogy, which is how you teach singing. And then the goal being I always wanted to have my own music school. And so did that. And, and along the way was like, I really, I also had studied business in, in undergrad as well. And I was like, I should really brush up on a few things. And I started taking classes, just a few master, master's level, like grad level classes at the University of Georgia. And eventually it just turned into something. My advisor was like, you should probably just finish the degree. And I was like, All right. so it was never really an intent, but I had this bifurcated like path of education. So one on, on the business side, one on the music side, and initially started out music. And then the latter half of my career was business and um, got into hospitality and hotels, was on the sales side there. Was I thought I did a pretty good job, but it was not really what I loved. I loved the number side. And so when I had an opportunity to jump into the revenue side, that's what I did. And then not long after that, I natural retreats, multi-market property manager, had a job opening for a revenue manager. And so I was like, I want to do that. And that's how I got into short-term vacation rentals and left natural retreats a, a few months ago, September, and went out on my own to do more revenue management stuff. And I just haven't looked back since. And I love this industry. I love this network of people in this industry. And yeah, so that's the kind of quick <laughs> wrap up. Yeah, it's pretty interesting background because it sounds like you did a lot of things, but we also got to get the song that best describes you before I ask my follow-up that I want to ask. That was, you did warn me that you were going to ask me about a song that best describes me, and I honestly could not think of one. I think along the way that my brain thinks, I think of things that I aspire to, right? So music that I aspire to, that's how I had to categorize it, would be the Bach cello suites. So... I want to just explain. It's not just one song. It's a work. It's a, a, I guess, a grouping of pieces. J.S. Bach, the master of masters. One, cello. It is the instrument that is most similar to the human voice. So in terms of range and also in terms of like timbre and color, I'm very similar to the human voice, which I love. I've always been very drawn to it. We don't know a lot. Not a lot. There's a lot that that is unknown about the cello suite. So I like the mystery that's there too. I think we hear a lot about there's beauty and simplicity, that whole aesthetic thing, but I think there's also simplicity and beauty. And so it's like the aesthetic and then there's the structure. And one thing about the cello suites is that it's all <clears throat> melodic. It's for a solo instrument. So it's one instrument playing it, all melody, very monophonic, it's, but it's so beautiful and it's really deep. And, and so I think that I'm, I'm certainly not that every day. I try to be those kinds of things every day. I love the consistency of it. I love that there's just no distraction in that music. I think that there's just like super foundational truths in really simple things. So that's it. I, I don't know if that's a, it's not a song, but I love it. It's music I love. You, you took us in a direction that we haven't gone before. Uh, I think that classical is an area that I've, I've always wanted to get into and, and never have gotten into. So I, this gives me a reason to go check that out. I've got just one quick clarifying question, and maybe it's just my curiosity. But when you say it's only one instrument, is that one person or is that like a symphony of cellos? That one would... person. It's a oh, solo wow. cello, and it's amazing. And so there are... Uh, Public Assaults was the first one to actually put it record all six of them. There are six cello suites, six movements in each one. But the but Yo Yo Ma does a really nice version. So if you're gonna link something, I I love the Yo Yo recordings. Perfect. 
Right on. Well, there's a lot of threads to pull on there. I'll try to tie some of them together and maybe we can go back in Adam's <laughs> direction because different there. It's so funny. Maybe I'll go this way with it. I thought about this one a little bit. And Amy Highnote had this graphic a while ago. I thought it was really interesting. And it was this idea that I think it was an old year of Intel magazine where there was like 70 different things that a property manager might have to do in any given day, week, month, year, right? They could have, they have to know about real estate value. They, know, they have to know about property maintenance. They have to know about marketing. They have to know about rates and revenue. Obviously, we'll talk about that. And it's no one person can possibly be an expert in 70 things. Just like no one person is probably an expert in the music side of it and the revenue side of it like you are. So it's this unique combination of things back to Adam's talent stacking a piece from earlier. But what do you see as like the gaps that people have that the average property manager has in their understanding of rates and the understanding of how they actually set pricing and things like that? Because it'd be easy for them just to assume that's the revenue manager's job. I'm going to focus on one of the other 68 things that I have to do. But how do you give them like the education they need to actually be successful, even if you're helping them along the way with that journey? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question. And one, obviously, I only have my own perspective to speak from. And I have... Um, Comparably, I've only spoken with a small number of people since I've especially gone out on my own. So keeping in mind that the sample size is relatively small, what I have seen is that there has been this really great attention that's been a spotlight on revenue management over the last few years, which I love. I think that's great. I think there's a lot of nuance that is overlooked uh, with that. And one of those things being what you just said there and it's nuance, right? And I, I can't judge these property managers or, or or anything like that, but it's just an observation. I think, one, I think revenue management is a function of the business. I think it is a function. I think it works collaboratively with other functions. And when it does that, it has the best shot of being successful. I don't think it is, it is one of those solo instruments um, that you will find in an orchestra, but it is not a Bach cello suite um, because it's not just reliant on that one instrument. So that is the thing that we're, we've gotten used to saying revenues more than rates. And everybody's gotten used to that idea that it's more than just rates. But I think that maybe what we haven't worked through as much as a as an industry is the idea that revenue is seat at the table it is a function of the business at large for example conrad you're the marketing guy right i've one of the things that i've learned in my short time on my own is the kind of engagement that i'll take and the ones that i won't um I realize that not everybody has a marketing guru at this at the table all the time, especially some of the smaller property managers. They, that's not just in their wheelhouse right now. But someone who's not focused on figuring out what that marketing strategy looks like for their company, even if they're not paying someone who's the marketing guy, that kind of um, collaboration and um, holistic kind of approach to everything to their business is super important to me. If I'm talking to somebody who really doesn't care too much about the marketing side, I just want someone to come in and do my rates. That to me is a red flag because mm. I don't, I, we all say it's more than rates, but it, when it, when push comes to shove and, and somebody's saying, okay, why is the revenue down? If you've got someone in the re rates and revenue seat, it puts like the spotlight right on you and like, why aren't you doing your job? There's more to that than just rates and revenue or rates as it applies to revenue. I think we need to start asking why things are the way that they are. We need to be honest with ourselves about the reasons, not just sweep it under the rug kind of thing. Um, 
it's oftentimes the revenue person <laughs> that needs to, to, to flip the levers and, and do the fixing, but it's oftentimes not. And, and, and that's not to point fingers. It's to say, we need to work together. Uh, marketing is a big one. Um, and just, that's been the one that I think has been most, I don't even know if it's surprising, but the most obvious to me as I've come out of the gate and, and talked to different property managers and I've been exploring the business because I really want to explore what I can do for them but within the context of their business, because they're all mm -hmm. going to be different. Yeah. But the collaboration Scott, my, is a big thing. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't Sorry. agree more. Scott, in, in my mind, this seems like a perfect example of second order thinking, which is something that we've talked about a lot on the show in the past with respect to the maintenance person may be, this was just last episode, the maintenance person may in fact be the person that they see um, more than anybody. So you have this nice reservations office, but they check in remotely and they don't actually interact with the guest. So the old way of doing things doesn't actually work the way it is today. So I guess, Scott, what's your reaction to this idea of Sarah saying that this is a function that deserves a seat at the table, but there's lots of layers to it, including property maintenance, including operations, turnover, cleaning, all that kind of stuff certainly plays a role. Curious your thoughts on that. Yeah. So Conrad, I think you paid Sarah to say those things because you have said those same things to us. Hey guys, I can only do this piece over here. I'm going to need you to do your part because I can't tell everyone that you're so great and you not be great. So I do think it, it's, it's the whole evolution, right? And, and Conrad, we've had that conversation, right? Like if we're over here doing what we need to do and building the right product, right? And Conrad, last episode, we talked about this. If we're working to make Del Mar and Tan, one of the top 50, then you're looking to say, if you're doing that work, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to do my work. And we haven't really, we haven't put the emphasis on revenue management that we should. And we're starting to go in that way, but I hadn't considered, I would have said, Hey, revenue management, really, that's a marketing thing. I, I hadn't really said, okay, really it, it's separate functions with everyone kind of doing their part, but I am a big believer in it's all a bunch of pieces that need to move. And, and, you know, probably not a surprise from my seat. I think the core of it is operationally, right? You guys can do a lot of masterful things with rates and with marketing. But if I don't have a product that sells itself, right? And that lends directly into all the work that you need to do. And our goal is the highest rates in the area, right? If we want to beat your neighbor on and have better rates. And we want to do that because we provide the right service, right? Because we're targeting the right people that want to go to that unit at the right time, so I do think it's a collective effort. I, I think the the one thing that I wrote down while you were talking, Sarah, is, is as you talked, I had a moment of, hang on a second, right? Because revenue management really became popular the last two weeks or the last two weeks, the last two years. And really keep in mind, and I think that was because the fun was here, right? That's where you could go figure out how much more money you could take because everyone's just shoveling it out, right? So revenue management really picked up. But now you wonder... How many companies are ready to do revenue management when it's not so fun, when it's more really in the trench work and, and the fun ride is over with, oh, how much can I grab? And now it's, I've got real work to do to really be competitive. So are you starting to see that shift, Sarah? Absolutely. Your that's where, to your point about operationally, that's where the review scores come in, right? Because we, we have to, as revenue managers, we're looking at review scores and not it's not just revenue. Operations is digging into those and is figuring that out. We're looking at trends operationally. Why are we getting repeat kinds of negative reviews or positive reviews? What are those things? Marketing needs to know that. But if we're not all tied to in in focused on the same goal, right? If we're pulling in opposite directions, that's not going to work. You can only, you want to be able to drive the highest rate, but if your review scores aren't where they need to be in order to do that, then you can't. And you can't then just be like, the rates weren't high enough. And so we didn't get, no, we have to look at everything. And that to me has been, yes, it, it is something that I have seen. I, 
Admittedly, I, I was not in the space working with individual clients when the boom was happening. I was at my own property manager at the time, but I can definitely see the change. And you're right. There is, it, it's easy to be a revenue manager two years ago. It was super easy. And now you're, I'm really trying to, as I talk to potential clients and my current clients, this is not just about what rate we're putting on the homes. We have to understand why that rate is or isn't acceptable. You've got the owner, you always have the owners that say, my rate can't go any lower than this, or my rate needs to be X. And you're always going to have that. But my job, I think, is to be able to equip the property manager, whoever that person is speaking to the owner, to equip them with the reasons why or why that is not um, a reasonable thing, given the data that we have available to us. But it's not just revenue. It's all of those little things that feed revenue, but are not necessarily a revenue management function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Adam, I, I was thinking back to my like history and when I first entered the industry, probably when you and I first met maybe many years ago at a VRMA event. And I remember there was this property manager that we worked with in Hilton Head and he showed me the spreadsheet on his computer that actually had 16 seasons, Sarah. And he was like, I've got this dialed in, man. I've got 16 seasons. And he's like, all these other property managers here in Hilton Head only have four seasons. They only adjust rates four times a year. There was like a spring, summer, peak summer, and then like an off-season rate. That was how they did things. So Adam, I, if I could sum the last few minutes, maybe it's this evolutionary process, right? We're not like, there was an old, there's a new, and it's going to stop. It's going to keep changing. And the perspective of how people think about this is going to keep changing. Part of that's the tools, like there's better software now and things like that to, to measure it. But Adam, I'm, I guess I'm curious your perspective on that from where you entered to where we are now, where, how do you think we've gotten better or worse or what's better about this situation today from the overall company perspective? I think evolution is, is a great way to talk about it. And I think that's the way we've been talking about it on, on the show here, that I think the industry is going through a tremendous evolution in a lot of different ways. And this is my own ignorance, I think, but this is one of the reasons why I really love these discussions, because this one's already opened my eyes to where I, I think the evolution of this revenue management side is going. And it's an area that I had not thought about until we just started having this discussion. So to your point, Conrad, a number of year, years ago at that Hilton Hedge manager, that was cutting edge, right? Because he had thought through, hey, I'm going to beat, beat these guys because I'm going to change my rates more often. As a result, I'm going to get these bookings because the price is going to be right. But to Sarah's point, revenue management is much more than just rates. And that's where my head was up until this discussion. And we've had Anarog from Price Labs. And I agree, yes, the tools have gotten better. And they've given everybody the ability to uh, adjust these and potentially set up rules to adjust it. And that's been discussed in the industry for a very long time. I think Escapia was the first one to, to bring that thought in. And we're really capturing that mentality from hotels and airlines because that's what they've done for so long. But I do think that if you evolve that discussion in the way that Sarah introduced and then Scott has built on top of, I think that I could foresee revenue management becoming really strategic across all of the industry in a sense that I would attach marketing to rates and promotion. That's where my head was with revenue management. But when I think about this, every seat at the table, if revenue management is one of those seats, every seat at that table has to have revenue management in their discussions because every position at that table is, is somehow impacting revenue management, whether that's on the expense side, whether that's on the marketing side and deciding what to do and what not to do, or if it's what tools to use and what tools not to use. Yes, at the end of the day, the revenue management that we all see is the rate that's posted. And that's one the one that the homeowners attached to. But the reality is that it feels to me like this is going to evolve. And we're probably still at the, the very early stages of this. 
but it feels like this is going to evolve into a much more strategic role at these companies where a revenue manager is going to start talking to every party that's having an impact on the business and starting to decide, hey, where is the impact on revenue and how can we adjust it to be the most favorable for the business? Yeah, I think my my perspective on this era, just having been in actual physical offices before too, is usually there'll be someone in a leadership position who feels like they're responsible for rates or they're responsible for setting pricing or something like that. And then every once in a while, I would see maybe like a, some kind of junior or person under that person that was helping them along the way. But it's rare that you actually find them. Do you see, Sarah, a position where there's a chief revenue officer at a vacation rental company? And that's just a common thing as these companies get bigger. And it's given the same weight as like a COO would get or something to that effect. What do you think the evolution is of like, to Adam's point, like where does this sit in the priority order or how much of the conversation should be? We've got to go back to Sarah here and figure out what, what we need to do here before we make the next step. I guess I'm curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the, none of it is going to apply to everything. So I think scale has a lot to do with who is currently at the table and your goals for scale have a lot to do with who will be at the table down the road and the hat that they'll wear, the title that they'll have. I think that's actually surprisingly, you know, one of the surprises for me in, in going out and doing what I'm doing is that more of my clients have been these companies that are, that are at that um, breaking point in terms of scale. They're trying to get to the next level. And so what a lot of the education and the consulting that I'm doing now with those clients is really how do you get to that point? What are the things that you have to let go of to scale? And what are the things that you have to double down on? And it's not, it is not this idea of revenue management or of marketing or of reservations or of ops. It is this really holistic kind of scaling efficiency that has to do with everybody. To your point, Adam, you're, you're talking about how every seat at the table might have a little bit of revenue management in it, but that goes the other way too. Revenue management has marketing in it. Revenue management is directly tied to reservations, directly tied to ops, directly tied to all of these things. And I think when all of these things are working together in collaboration, that's when you're going to get something that's going to grow and to move. And you're, it's going to be easier, I think, to see what those things are that need to fall off. You can't set a strategy for an entire company if you've got the different spokes trying to go in different directions, right? They all have to be dialed into the center. And if you don't have that, you can't set a company strategy. And if you don't have a company strategy, you sure as heck can't set a departmental strategy. So that's where I've been really, I've loved being able to work with the companies that are doing this and um, that are thinking about these things. And that thinking through process is way more than just revenue management. You know, I was able to go through a lot of this, some of this anyway, with natural retreats and how we scaled and how we grew the lessons that I learned. I'm certainly not perfect. I don't know all the answers, but there are certain things that you have to decide and you have to say, okay, this is our strategy. This is our goal. And everything that we do is going to be you know, in support of that goal and that we're trying to accomplish. So that might be a kind of a long-winded answer to what you were asking, but um, no, that's okay. We enjoy long-winded. We enjoy well long-winded answers, hence the podcast. But uh, I, mean, I, it's, I guess the way I think about it too, Sarah, this is just my personal observation. I don't think we've ever talked about this before, but people always love to tell stories about how they've entered this industry accidentally. Oh, I was doing this with one or two listings. And then here I am five years later, now I have a hundred that I manage for other owners. And I wonder if we're doing ourselves a little bit of a disservice. That may be true. Like maybe you didn't graduate from college or whatever and say, I'm going to go start a vacation rental company. But are we doing a disservice by not thinking of it more like maybe the executive of a restaurant chain would think of it, where there's like these departments, they have functions, this is how things 
things go. Everything's more structured. Are we a little bit too laissez-faire about the whole thing because of this maybe feeling that we all have of, I'm just winging it anyways, because I'm, I didn't intend to do it this way. Scott, I don't know your perspective there, but is the MBA track for vacation rentals not really there yet because we enjoy this story that we tell ourselves about how we're all accidentalists? I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing as we get bigger and as we try to professionalize in some ways. Yeah, I, I do think there's truth there because you're right. It's everywhere, right? It's everywhere. Everyone says, no, I just happened into the business. And, and, and I think to your point, Conrad, at, at some point you did happen, but now you're in it. At some point you said, hey, I'm, I'm in this business. And one would think that would be the moment where you said, all right, we're all in. And, and I go back to unreasonable hospitality, right? Which we've been able to do quite often. But one of the things that always intrigued me with unreasonable hospitality is remember, they assigned a person to oversee every detail of the restaurant, right? There was someone that actually was responsible for the plates, someone actually responsible for the silverware, right? So if you look at that, right, in their story through everything they did, right, the answer lies there, right? And the answer is, if you want to operate at that level, you've got to have ownership down to a very detailed level. And, and I think that's the moment, right? So maybe our follow-up question next time, and we won't ask Sarah, but next time someone says, oh, I accidentally landed here, I think we should say, well, how long did it take until you realized you were here to stay and that this was mm -hmm. home, right? Because okay, that's the real question at this point. Yeah. Yeah. There's going to be a really weird example. So I apologize in advance, but it's like, so my dad met my mom and my mom already had two, two daughters from a previous marriage. And so at some point it was like this random guy that was in the house with my, my sisters and my, their stepdad, my dad. And then at some point it's like, he's our dad, right? Not exactly, but it feels that way. It's that's the way that I'm thinking about this is there's some line. I don't know when that is. There's some moment though, where my sister looked at my dad and went, Oh, I guess this is my dad now. Cause the other guys is, is long since gone. So really weird example, but I'm thinking about that. You mentioned that idea, Scott, and that does bring that idea up to me is like, there's moment where it's casual and then it's we're in it how are we going to do it how are we going to make it better and that kind of stuff i don't know adam you've seen this a lot on the technology side i feel like there's maybe a decision moment on the vacational manager side where it's wow i've hit x number of listings i need to go figure out my xyz tech stack and then they go and sign a contract with different tech that you sold in your career and do they feel like at that moment that they've grown up and made it if they were using a spreadsheet and then they go to some fancy pms i don't know your perspective on that but yeah, I do. I do think that as an industry, we enjoy the accidental nature, or at least the story behind that accidental nature. But with that said, I think that as we hit these uh, crossroads that we're facing right now, and and as we try to speed up the evolution that that we're going through, because I I think we need to. I, I think as an industry, we need to professionalize as quickly as we can because we're going to see some people fall out of the bottom, and the people that figure out how to professionalize and and how to really operate and think about it as a true business, those are the, the areas that, that are going to see that success. So I, I think we enjoy it. But at the same time, I, I think it's crucial that we start to leave that behind us. And, and maybe to Scott's point, follow up with that next question of, okay, how long did it take you to figure out that this is where you're going to stay? And now we need to take this serious. And the revenue management piece is, is just one of those areas. I think there's a tremendous amount of those areas that we're probably underutilizing. And that's what I'm taking from this overall discussion. And it's only been 30 minutes, but already adjusting my perspective on, on things. But I think that this has always been there. There's always been this goal of, of revenue management as a whole. And, and maybe it was the CEO, maybe it was the founder. And to Sarah's point, a lot of this depends on size and scale and what your goal is, because everybody's goal is different. And based on your goals, you can adjust how you want to do it. But what I would suggest as an industry and as the, regardless of what your goals are or what the scale is that you aspire towards, I think we can all try to fully utilize the tools in the areas that we have. And I think that we're probably underutilizing a lot of areas of our business because 
to that point, we've, we've thought about this as an accidental sort of freewheeling, hey, it's mom and pop, it doesn't really matter. But to the point of the question at the beginning, uh, Conrad, I think that we are doing ourselves a disservice by thinking about ourselves continually as this mom and pop. There's a nice element to thinking that we're this small industry that is inviting people into our homes and we're building these relationships. That's a strong part of that. But the negative aspect of that is that maybe we're not taking ourselves serious enough to really build into a professional industry and, and professional organizations. And I think there's a big opportunity the faster we do that. And I guess I'm thinking, Sarah, as you go through and you pick the clients to work with, and I think you're probably in a little bit of a better position in that respect, if you can feel like you can say no. There's certainly a part when I did what you did a long time ago in 2016, and I felt like I couldn't say no to anybody. I was like, let's work. And when you have no work, you take whatever work you can get um, when you're just starting out and you start from zero or near zero from a revenue perspective, meaning like the revenue, not the rental management revenue. But I, I guess I'm curious, like nothing kills my success more than sub half 1% conversion rates, right? So if it takes 200 people go to a website to get one booking, it's man, I'm just fighting a losing battle. Can I have some success? Maybe, but it's really challenging. What are some of those factors for you? What are th like those red flags? You mentioned reviews earlier. I guess I'm just curious about that side of it. What are the things that you look for where you're like, you cringe or you grit your teeth a little bit where you're like, ah, this is going to make it really challenging. Do you have some specific examples maybe? You mean in terms of how I would take a client or one once I'm in it? Yeah, maybe both, because it might be interesting for the listener to think what is a successful revenue manager can pick and choose their clients to some degree, right? They don't have to take everybody. Well, and I imagine I, you're someone's no, not in some respect there. Okay. Well, explain yeah, I'm saying that I, I do pick and choose to a greater degree than maybe some people. Does that mean that I have just a ton of people like flooding my inquiries? Not necessarily either. If I were 30 and I were doing this, that'd be one thing, but I'm like, almost 50. So I'm going to be very selective about who I take and what I and, and who I work with, not because of them personally, but because I know I, I want to be able to set myself up for the greatest success long term, both for me personally and professionally and for the client as well. I know that if I was to take on a client that is just really hyper focused on rates, blinders on to everything else, I know ultimately they're not going to be happy with it in the long run. And I'm not, I'm going to be spinning my wheels, right? Because that's not what I'm going for. I'm really going for like kind of this holistic approach. I want to involve everybody. I want to make sure that we've got all the pistons firing at the right time. That's what I want. And as someone who measures my success and my growth on the satisfaction of the client, but also the work satisfaction too, I feel like I'm affecting a, a good change. That's how I'm seeing things forward. Um, I've been very fortunate in the clients that I have taken, that it's worked out. Um, when when you're in, the other thing I'll say about that too is I've had some people approach me like, I really need help now. This is, I'm 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 desperate. That's also a red flag for me. <laughs> so I'm like, somebody who is who's just, I need help now. The, the reality is when you bring somebody in on the revenue side, you're not gonna get, most likely, you're not gonna get an immediate uplift. This is a, a process and you probably missed a booking window. You've probably done certain things to get to this point where you're so de desperate now that if you're like, I just need some help. That if that's your expectation, I know I can't meet, meet that expectation for you because I know that's just not how revenue works. That's not how the cycle works. Those were the, those would be the couple things that I would say from that perspective. Like I said, I'm, I've been very fortunate in the clients that I've been able to work with and that I did the vetting uh, initially, and and I felt these are people I really want to work with. They have this drive, they have this motivation to grow and to learn. Um, 
So I would just use this more as like a hypothetical, but if I were to get into a situation where, you know, there were things that may not be aligning in terms of goals, strategy, and there was just this siloed approach to things, like that would be a huge red flag to me. It wouldn't be a KPI that was off. It wouldn't be those kinds of things. It would be the systemic organic things within the company that that I think are the biggest red flags. Because if you've got those, you're never going to get the KPIs that you want. You're never going to achieve the ultimate goal for you. So that's more high level. Um, but I've been very fortunate and I, I know that this, maybe it won't always be that way, but I've got amazing clients and I'm I feel pretty lucky. Yeah, it's it's got to reminds me a lot of our discussion a little while ago about the questionnaire and interviewing the homeowner a little bit when you guys are taking on new inventory and you can be, uh, yeah, again, maybe selective or picky. I don't know if those are the right words exactly, but it's we have to be the right fit. That's that's obviously going to lead to the both success for both sides. I it, it sounds similar, right? Like we have to be thoughtful about the homeowner and educate them a little bit. And I think you recall, I recall in a previous episode, Scott, you telling a story about someone not willing to fill out some information or no, I don't want to fill this out. And you were just, okay, we're then we're not the right fit. Just being able to say no is something, a valuable skill that some people just don't have in sometimes. Yeah, I, w w as Sarah was talking, and, and Conrad, you do much of the same, right? It, it's just clarity, right? And and I think that's the overarching message here that we've heard start to bubble up. The more clear you are on who you are, right? And and again, brand certainly brand clarities. But but what are you even servicing, right? I, how are you approaching it? What's your approach? What's your promise? What's your commitments? With clarity around that, then we can look and say, hey, homeowner, here's exactly who we are. Here's who we prefer to work with. And to Sarah's point, it's about, we don't want to do this work and then just run into a brick wall because we know we're not aligned from the get-go. We want to do this work and go, we're aligned on interest. So we know that if we're doing good, then you think we're doing good. Um, and, and I think that is the missing key. And, and Conrad, to, to your point, when we when you asked this specific question, there's also the other side that just revenue, it doesn't matter, revenue, revenue, I'll take that unit, I'll take that unit. And we all know that shelf life runs out at some point down the road. And it's usually nine times out of 10 because that owner is not aligned with the most basic expectations, right? And listen, we all know that it's the number one thing with the homeowners is revenue, right? So are you having the conversation with the homeowners to say, here's a realistic projection of what your place is gonna do. Here's what it looks like working with us. I think if you set that table and then that is translated well to revenue management who says, yes, that place can actually do that amount of money, That then the, the cycle starts. But clarity from my perspective seems to be the message, right? Are you really clear? And Conrad, you and I had this conversation about some of the stuff in Del Mar, right? Well, okay, why this one? Hey, this one's on the water, right? It's set, it's right across the bay. And then we talk about, well, all right, that's a boat collection type home. And I, and I think as long as we keep driving in the clarity and, and whether it's vendors with VRMs and VRMs with owners, if we can build that chain of clarity, I think it's it's hard to lose when you have that much clarity all the way around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Adam, I was also thinking of the episode we did with Lauren as well, when she was talking a little bit about her perspective on things. And she was talking about she had a lot of different opportunities to lower her commission. She's talked about this before, where people were trying to pressure her to lower her commission. And she held fast, like she didn't end up doing that. And that ultimately was the right decision because it's easy, Adam, right? There's always people that come in and they offer, they promise the world and they promise the world. Not only do they say they're going to do it better than you, they're actually going to do it for less commission. That feels like a challenging thing to build off of. But a lot of people fall for that trick or trap, right? They go, yeah, they fall into that idea. 
So yeah, it's like, there's a reason that it costs what it costs. Adam, these things, is, it's hard to do. We always say that, right? This is hard. Everything is here is hard. Yeah, exactly. And I think alignment in, in everything we do is exceptionally important. I'm also a believer in pricing yourself for what you believe you're worth. And if somebody's chasing, and this could be a homeowner, it could be a vendor, it could be a VRM, who knows? If somebody's chasing the lowest price, then there's usually a reason they're chasing the lowest price. And then they're also going to get the results that they're looking for from the lowest price solution. So I'm a believer in, in pricing yourself where, where you believe you need to be and then setting the expectations and then exceeding those expectations. I would much rather under promise and over deliver than try to promise the moon at the lowest price possible and then fight like crazy to try to deliver, but realize that you don't have enough resources to actually deliver what you've promised. And I do think that is a situation that we're actually struggling with in this industry. I think that's coming to light right now in a lot of different ways, because there are a lot of companies who did that for a long time. And to the point of a lot of our conversations, when the revenue was coming easy, it was okay because you could backstop that, hey, don't worry, the rev that next reservation is coming. The reality is that right now, those next reservations aren't coming as quickly as they were. So if you are under delivering, it's going to be very difficult to try to catch up. And I think that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see people, companies, homes that are starting to slip. And it's not happening fast. It's not going to come as a flood, but it's going to come drip by drip. All of a sudden, the expectations are going to slip. The promises that you made are going to slip. And that's an uncomfortable time to be in in the industry because, A, we know these people or we interact with these people and we're going to see some people that are starting to fade away or starting to fail. But on the flip side of that, I always see that as a huge opportunity. If you've built the right tools, if you built the right systems, if you made the right promises, and then you come out and you deliver on those promises and hopefully even over deliver on those promises, then those are the companies that are going to succeed over the next few months, few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sarah, I, I would like to do a small pivot with some of these ideas and maybe go in a slightly different direction because you actually do have multiple things going on. So maybe we could pull back a little bit and say you've got RevZen, which is like a services thing, and then you have RevProf. I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but you have this kind of other arm. So maybe you could break down those two things and what they are and the service you're hoping to provide to the industry with the nonprofit arm and what you're doing over there. Yeah. Yeah. So the um, RevZen is my personal um, venture now. Um, that's what I'm doing very education uh, focused in a lot of ways, because these are the kinds of things that we're talking about today that I think are really important and building something that's uh, building something for longevity, right? Not just something where you're relying on a good economy. That's where I think if you're relying on that to be successful, that's a problem. So you need to get to the, the root. You need to figure out what that is in your company or that is going to launch you forward. That's going to keep you, that's going to be sustainable. And that's, so that's what I'm doing. RevCroft is the um, new venture that Emily Patillo, Jordan Locke, and John DeRolay and I are launching or have launched. It's a nonprofit association that is for revenue professionals in our space. So not hotels, not just general hospitality, but in short-term vacation rentals. The goal is for it to be a community of those of us who are in the space for a long time um, We've had Verma, we've had amazing, that's an amazing organization. You have, you've had some smaller satellite kind of things, but nothing specifically for revenue professionals, people or in revenue adjacent roles, but it's an organization really for us to, first of all, be a community, be able to bounce things off of each other, have someone to ask a question to. That's going to be one of the first uh, pillars that we really build out. And that's going to be something where we're going to invite people to participate in conversation in, 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 different, in different formats, hopefully. 
but we also want to build that out just from just a community kind of engagement effort, but we also want to provide and, and sponsor and support education in that area. So people who are just learning, who are just coming into the space. When I came into the space from hotels, there was nothing. You didn't really have anybody to talk to. You didn't have a resource. So we want to be able to provide that. And also for people who are looking to hire people, there's nowhere really to go. Like, how do I know who to hire? I don't, I don't know that. There's no one place to go. And ultimately, we'd like to get to a point, which is going to be down the road a bit, but where we can build in some certifications so that you have an idea of who you're hiring or who you're talking to. They've actually got this kind of foundational knowledge to be able to grow. So it's certainly a place for those of us who are in the revenue field now, but also we want to be a resource for people who are looking for people in the revenue area. But ultimately, community is a big thing for us. Education and then ultimately the certification. Those are the three things that we're really going to be focusing on over the course of time. We're, we just posted a, a LinkedIn post today saying that we're looking for volunteers to serve with us. So we're looking for people who are interested in serving on the board. We're looking for people who are interested in serving on committee. We're looking um, to just open the door for um, membership in general, if you just want to learn more. So um, that's what we're doing on the Rev Prof side. It is really a foundational thing where we're hoping to grow that to create a, a stronger community of revenue professionals. Um, and as from a RevZen perspective, I think that kind of thing makes my business, any other property manager, just stronger when there's more knowledge and more engagement just lifts everybody up. So those are the, mm -hmm. the two things. Yeah. Yeah. We'll definitely put links, by the way, in the show notes to both things. So people want to learn more about that piece, they can learn more about the other piece. But Adam, some pieces to add on to that. Yeah, I do. So a couple things there. One, love love the name RevZen. I, I think that just rolls off the tongue really well. But the other side of that is I think you did a fantastic job of announcing RevZen by having the community on LinkedIn starting to promote it. I, I think that was very well executed and, and not something that we've seen in the space before. And I think that the way that when I saw your background and saw RevZen, and again, my ignorance around revenue management rates was just really focused on rates and sales and marketing. But as I hear you describe it, I can get the sense that it's a bigger consulting than just revenue management. It's thinking about everything holistically to the point that you were talking about the right clients and, and all of that. The piece that I'm, I'm actually most curious about, or, or at least want to give some kudos to, is that RevProf. We hear a lot of discussion in this industry about the trade shows and the problems with the trade shows and where this is going and what's next and how can they be improved? How do we get new voices out there and all of those pieces? And with all that noise, there isn't much solution that's coming from that. And we've touched on it a number of times. I think community is one of those areas. And we're a big believer that community, these niche communities, is really part of the evolution in this industry. But I also think that lends itself to the trade show issue as well. If we can build out more of these niche communities that are focused on the functionalities that each one of the companies in this industry needs, then we can start to think about how do we educate, how do we build these communities on a level that we can all benefit from. New voices can be heard, new voices can be educated. We can start to share the knowledge that we've got in the industry. So rather than th thinking about these large conferences and maybe a small couple classes or a track that might be associated with what you're interested in, these niche communities could be a huge opportunity as we go forward and think about where conferences and where edu education should go. So kudos to, to you guys for doing all that. Yeah, that's definitely yeah. the goal, right? We, this past DARM, the RevProf produced, curated and produced the content for the two revenue management tracks. So we did the foundational revenue management track and the advanced revenue management track. So we went through and produced all of that content and 
that being hopefully a, like a springboard, which shouldn't just be us four, right? We really want to bring in the wider community because there are really bright, brilliant people who haven't had a stage, who haven't had the mic, and they should. They have something to contribute. And it's different than what we've seen or heard to date. We want to make sure widen that, that community and shine more of a spotlight on people who may not have had the opportunity to speak or share. We tried to put new people up on the stage this year. Um, and that's just going to hopefully become something that's organic, right? As we grow and as we bring more people into the fold and people start sharing and talking and building that community, hopefully that becomes just a wider pool of, of people to pick from when you go to the dorms, when you go to Verma, when you go to these other things. Um, so you really have people who are very skilled at their craft who are willing to share with the wider group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had a note in here in the outline about asking you uh, where there's like a gap in the VR industry, but I think you maybe answered it there, which is like this idea of becoming a master of your craft and talking to other people who are also great at what they do. You can always learn something. It's so funny. I was in the marketing, I was in the marketing sessions, obviously during Darm, and I sat in on pretty much every other session from other marketing people. And sure, they're my competition a little bit, but I don't mind them sitting in my session either because we're going to learn from each other. I'm going to learn something from what they said, and I did. And hopefully they learned a thing or two from what I was saying and what Adam was saying when we co-presented as well when we were there. So I like that mindset. I think that's a better way. I feel like they're it's unfortunate that some people in our industry use it as a chance to, I don't know, there's always the politics and the taking shots of people and things like that. I just like to go and listen. And to be honest, sometimes I don't learn anything. Sometimes I go in there and listen, but it's always good to be like, what's your perspective? Even if I disagree with it or if it doesn't work the wet that way in my experience, I can at least listen and be like, okay, maybe I should reconsider or learn something else from there. So yeah, Scott, Darm, your maybe favorite you just conference. Think. Yeah. Go yeah. Ahead, sometimes the, the, the takeaway from those sessions are that it they make you think about something that mm -hmm maybe you've thought about before, maybe you just go further into that. And it's not like a, a very distinct takeaway. Oh, I learned how a new KPI. Maybe it's not that it's caused you to, to, to create action, even if it's just in your own head. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely. I, I, I really hope, um, got a lot of, got a lot of optimism behind, behind both the RevProf, RevZen, but just in general revenue management in our sphere. I hope that it becomes something that's more than what it is now, but you, you touched on competition a little bit. And I think that's the nice part about really figuring out where you're aligning with potential clients, with current clients, because I'm not going to be for everybody, whether it's because of what people want from someone like me, whether it's cost, whether it's availability, I'm just not going to be the right person for everyone. But there's probably a right person for everyone that's out there. It's just a matter of, of finding that. That's where that kind of thing of looking at somebody who might be your competition is not really your competition. It's just somebody out there who's trying to help move this industry forward and, and, and make us all better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's such a different framing from how a lot of people in our industry think about it, especially when that venture capital money was just pumping in like the <laughs> like water into the Titanic, right? It was just like, we're putting all this money into it and we're going to crush it. Like they would say things even too in some of their funding announcements about this is a, this industry is so antiquated and terrible and the way they do things is so bad and we're going to fix it. And a lot of those companies certainly haven't fixed much of anything. And now a lot of those folks aren't where they want to be. I guess that's as friendly as you can say that. But yeah, to your point there, there's a lot more that we can learn collaboratively. Scott, I know we're coming up against a time was here, but anything else to add in here or poke out with, with Sarah while we have her for a handful of more minutes? Yeah, I, I think it's funny because when, when Sarah was talking, I wrote down solution and then Adam, you know, mentioned solution as well, because I think that's it. And 
on, on the kind of conference side, right? I mean, I've said this over and over, right? Everyone is so afraid to talk openly about revenue, right? Because ultimately, if revenue is down, that means I'm down, right? Because we have placed so much emphasis on what's your revenue, what's your revenue. And by the way, no one ever says their revenue. They say the gross revenue, right? So right. <laughs> there's so much sensitivity around this, right? Where you look, and, and to Sarah's point, if you could just have the conversation, Imagine what you could gain by just looking and going, hey, this is where I'm struggling, right? It, that by itself is, I think, what really propelled Darm, where I was like, that's the difference. Because if you look at it, Verma, it wasn't mentioned, right? Verma was, we talked about all kinds of stuff, very little of it having to do with rough patches, right, in, in revenue management. You hit Darm, and all of a sudden, we start with not great news, right? And and we put up slides, but again, you could see everyone almost okay to talk about it now because they said that there's a very big, large number of people that are down. So maybe now I can finally talk. And you look at it and go like, collectively, we all have a whole lot of information. If we would just all come together and talk, we've got market by market, we've got market segments, we've got all kinds of information. If we would stop having to pretend that we're the masters and we're doing the best, I think that lends itself to how we really take the step forward. Now, listen, is everyone going to be all the way transparent? No, but again, if we can at least have the hard conversations, I think it's there. Sarah, one of the things that I look back on right now is trying to figure out, we're working on an owner newsletter and some different things. And and I have said this several times, if I had the, the flux capacitor, right, and I could go back in time, the one thing that I wish we would have done differently is go back to every owner statement during the boom and essentially have an asterisk to say, you have outperformed what this unit should do by X thousand dollars or X percent this month, right? That, because that was the truth, right? And listen, we all didn't want to know that was the truth. We all didn't want to believe it. But listen, at some point, we all look to say, this can't continue forever. And we should have started putting that flag in the ground way sooner. Now we're all going to sit here and say, oh, these owners, they're ridiculous. You never once told them like, hey, man, we are living well. Like we are living well now. Take it all in where you can get it. But again, I, I think the more we push into open, clear communities that have conversation, just the better it is for everyone. And I will say just put this out there into the ether, the universe. Um, we're not talking collusion. We're talking yeah. <laughs> sharing high level ideas. We're not being so transparent that it's breaking any sort of antitrust laws. Not that, but we're talking like sharing ideas and talking about things like that. So just wanted to put that out there. Don't know who's watching or listening, but that's very important to us. Our, le our legal um, team yeah, thanks I mean, you. Your... We don't have a legal team. <laughs> <laughs> But to your point, Scott, I, th I think that's right. And I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not the marketer. That's probably I would defer more to Conrad in, in terms of voicing and how you present something like that. But I do think that's something really important to consider. The other side of that are the people who came in during that time who, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they never knew anything different. So there was nothing. There's no comparative narrative there. It's just that's what it is. And that out of what, what I've seen has been the hardest the hardest nut to crack now is that's just the expectation. And you're like, no, <laughs> hold up. So it's like, yeah, um, there's that. 
I do. I'm sure there was someone that made their way to California during the gold rush and walked out to the stream, hit their pickaxe and found a nugget of gold and was like, this stuff's easy, man. And then the next two years of his life was just like the most miserable experience of all time because he just got this high so early on and he couldn't couldn't sustain from that. Yeah, but you're right, Sarah. That's a challenging piece there. You mentioned earlier underrepresented voices or people that just aren't often heard on the stages or they're not heard in podcasts and things like that. We're trying to correct that a little bit. So we got one more question for you. And I think we got to wrap here. I know we're at time on your side, Sarah, but we appreciate you being with us. So final question for you. Is there anyone that we should talk to next on our show that potentially could give us a new perspective, a new view, share some interesting things about the industry, their insights, anyone come to mind from your end? So got a little heads up on this one too. And I wasn't sure if you wanted someone in short-term rentals or if you wanted just any random person. I actually thought of any random person. So I don't, I thought your list of folks that you wanted to talk to that you had posted on LinkedIn was excellent. I thought those are great. Lauren Madewell is amazing. Michelle Marquis. Some of those folks Great. I think that's a fantastic list. I actually thought about, well, right. So I don't know if you know of the company called Sweetwater. It's a music, it's a music company. They sell instruments. They sell parts. It's a music company. And my guitar strings up. Amazing company. I know personally my account manager, who is Kurt. That's the only person I know at Sweetwater. So I'm not saying talk to Kurt. There's a, Jeff Osterman is, I think their chief people strat, I don't know what it, what is, he's very active on LinkedIn. This company, if you have not heard of it, if you have not experienced this company, order some guitar strings. Even if you don't play guitar, I don't know, order a pick or something. You will experience the most amazing customer service you have ever experienced. In your, and it is consistent as anything. You order, you get a call back. They follow up. Everybody is assigned an accountant. It is amazing. You order guitar strings, you order a $4,000 keyboard. We've done both. It's the same service. I think I've always wanted to have somebody in our space, hospitality, talk about unreasonable hospitality. I've always wanted to have somebody interview someone from this company because they are so exceptional and just mind-blowing. That's my, nice. I don't know who it is. I'll reach out to Kurt. We'll do some digging. To to Kurt. Yes, I feel go. like Kurt's going to help, man. I just, he got the name. Like, I think Fantastic Kurt's are usually helpful in companies. these grades. <laughs> By the way, my dad is very upset Fantastic. when I said, my dad, the 35-year, more than that, no, at this point, guitar player is so upset that I was like, I don't know who Sweetwater is. He doesn't listen to the show, but if he did, he's going to be like, come on. I'm sure he's ordered from them before. So I'll ask my dad, maybe he's got a Kurt as well on his side of the ledger. Ask your dad. He probably has a Kurt. It's amazing. Yeah. At one point, there was 35 in my house there, just lined up down the bottom. So all for my time. Awesome, gentlemen. uh, And Sarah, we appreciate you you hopping on with us today. I know we've been a minute or two over, so we appreciate you sticking with us and wrapping up here. Uh, A good one. We'll have to do some digging on that one. I don't think it's one email away. We might have to do some research, but we'll see what we can do and see if that person might potentially be a good fit. Uh, Some sweet, we sweet for us is if someone who listened this far made it all the way to the end of the podcast or to leave a review in their podcast app of choice, they go, they click five stars. It's going to help us get better ratings and reviews. And not exactly the same thing as rates, but I'm trying here. And then more people can listen to the show. So we appreciate it. Thanks again, Sarah, for your time. And we'll catch everybody on the next episode of The Art of Hospitality. Thanks so much.